This is the Life Truth Network. Truth Exposed, Episode 43. Truth Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here are your hosts. Love them or not, you're stuck with them. Keith Heltzley and Nathan Caldwell. Hey everybody, this is uh, Keith, your host here at Truth Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth, where once a month we take a deep dive into Scripture. Uh, we've been going through the book of John. We are up to chapter 12, uh, going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, trying to dig deep into uh, the meaning there. Uh, as usual, today you will hear some pre-recorded comments from myself. Our co-host, Nathan Caldwell, our favorite Bible, radio Bible teacher, uh, Jay Vernon McGee, who is long deceased, but he still has a ministry that's going strong out there. Uh, look for ttb.org through the Bible ministries, and you will find out uh, what he's doing these days, or his ministry is doing these days. I'm sure he's uh, preoccupied in, in heaven, enjoying that. And anyway, I, uh, I don't have a lot of opening comments. I usually uh, add my opening and closing remarks in post-productions uh, once all the recording of the main body of our podcast is uh, taken care of. Uh, and this is not really a good exception to that, but usually I will remark afterwards about uh, some of the uh, comments made. But I wanted to remark on something up front before we get going. And uh, there's a verse we're going to be studying uh, today where it talks about Jesus being lifted up. Uh, of course, that means lifted up on the cross. He's referring to his death. Uh, something that's actually sad uh, that he had to do that to pay for our sin. Uh, but Nathan brings up a good point. We talks about sometimes we have praise songs. We talk about Jesus being glorified, lifted up, and we do it in a happy way. And you know, and we should lift praises to Christ. Uh, but I think his point there is he makes it very well that uh, sometimes we take that verse a little bit out of context. Well, I'm talking about all this because usually I don't have a lot to. Remark on with other people's comments, but Jane Vernon McGee makes a point that uh, if Jesus remarks, if he is to be raised up, he will draw all men unto himself. And Jane Vernon McGee points out, well, clearly not all men are being drawn to Christ. There are a lot of people out there who are lost, people in the labor force, people in the military, people on college campuses, and so forth. And he says, so clearly we're not lifting Jesus up in our churches today. I thought, well, actually, I would, I would disagree with him on that. Um, I think that Jesus is being lifted up just fine. 
in, in churches today. But, you know, we ought to be lifting him up um, outside churches today. But he, he does make a good point with that. Uh, but that's all I would remark. But it's not really a disagreement. It's just a, a, a more rounded extension of that. But anyway, a little spoiler alert there of what you're going to hear. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully our session today will uh, make you stop and think about some things and consider uh, what the scriptures actually saying and not what you think it might say or what you want it to say or uh, reading in between the lines too much of what's not there. Uh, but anyway, uh, it is time to get going and we'll get to our main topic uh, right after a fast word from some of the podcasters you'll find over at Christian Podcast Community, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org or, or .com. I think they both work. Or I think you could also go to podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. Now, anyway, lots of ways to find them, so you'll hear people like this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29.11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area main topic this would be from john uh, chapter 12 starting at verse 20 uh, i think we'll probably have to cut it off about verse 33 it's right in the middle of a discourse kind of a awkward place to snip it but in the sake of keeping things maybe on the shorter side that don't like to go too long and it's actually a good conversational shift when we do that and we'll pick it up as we go next time. But for now, here we go. Verse 20. Now we have another incident that took place that's recorded here. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. I'm pretty sure this is from 1977 version. Uh, now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. 
Let us look at verse 20. We will see the mission of Jesus, the real mission of Jesus, okay? Verse 20 says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Okay. And um, the only comment I want to bring up here is just to kind of bring in what we've discussed in the previous uh, session, that these Greeks uh, were actually Jews from foreign lands. They were coming to the feast uh, because it was that time of the year where uh, all good Jewish men left uh, where they were, and they came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And uh, J. Vernon McGee previously points out that uh, he considers these people to be something of uh, curiosity seekers because they were coming to see the show, as it were, with this guy, Jesus, who was healing everybody and with Lazarus, who rose from the dead. They're in it more for curiosity, but I think we're going to see a little more depth behind their curiosity this uh, in this passage. Uh, but the feast, of course, was the Passover, and um, it was a very important uh, time uh, for these people. In verse 21, Now the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip, they tell Jesus. Have you noticed how Philip, the quiet one, he had to run and get Andrew, and he said, there's some Greeks here that want to see Jesus. And so they go now together. Andrew said, well, let's just bring them to Jesus. Now, along with Andrew, Philip seems to be very approachable uh, in bringing people to Jesus. Uh, in fact, we, that's how we often, in fact, almost every time they're mentioned, they're bringing someone to see Jesus. When they ask for an audience to see Jesus, the, the phrases in there, it's a word that meant pleased, desired, uh, to choose. They, It would please them. It was their desire. Uh, it was uh, as they chose to see Jesus, and I suppose the reciprocal of that would, that they would hope that he would also be pleased and choose to see them. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Now, the pair of disciples, as mentioned, uh, are always uh, seen bringing people to Jesus. I'll say always, but often. I'll hedge my bets there. Uh, <laughs> but it seems that they uh, often are, if not, if not all the time. And, you know, Philip went to Andrew, and as a team, they went to Jesus with this request. Um, now... The question I have is, are this, these Greeks looking for Messiah? Uh, remember in our previous session, it was all about laying the palms down, the victorious ride into Jerusalem, Hosanna, please save us. Uh, are they looking for that uh, earthly Messiah? And what's their expectations exactly? And notice this, when Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, here's the way he answered. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come. 
that the Son of Man should be glorified. You see, he's now in the shadow of the cross. He's conscious of the hour. What hour? Well, a crisis, that toward which he's moved, that toward which he's come out of eternity. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he's come out of eternity for this hour. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, the word answered there could also be responded. It's a Jewish kind of a rhetoric where you, he, there's an expected uh, response. They asked him a question. He, the response is uh, required. They asked if they could see him, and Jesus responded. And in his response, he claims that his time has come. Usually, up to this point, Jesus would tell people, my time has not yet come. All the way back to turning water into wine. Woman, my time has not yet come. <laughs> uh, but now it has. Uh, the Son of Man will be glorified, but that doesn't mean what people think it means. And you remember that he said to his mother yonder at the beginning of his ministry, Mine hour has not yet come. He now says the hour is come. What is that hour? When he is going to the cross. And so these Greeks want to see Jesus. Why? Well, he's raised a man from the dead. And so he directs the attention of the Greeks to the cross. His conception of the cross was far different than that held by the Roman populace. It was to them a place of infamy and disgrace and shame, a gibbet where criminals died. It was the hangman's noose, the electric chair, the lethal gas chamber. And he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And why? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And then on the third day he's raised from the dead, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he should taste death for every man. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. The glory of God is seen in that cross. The time has come when he's to be glorified. And friends, he was glorified when he died for you and me. He was glorified when he came forth from that tomb. Mercy and pardon and forgiveness is found at that cross. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Now, he's using a parable here, isn't he? An object lesson. He says, you know, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it's, it's no longer a grain of wheat. It's, it's, it's dead. But what it does is it germinates. It seeds the ground and then something else happens this is actually a very wonderful verse the importance is added here by the verily verily now when our Lord speaks it's well for us to hear when he says verily one time it's very important to hear and when he says verily verily Two times, 
then it's of supreme importance. And here is a great principle that he puts down that's in the physical realm. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, that's a very graphic, practical saying. It's kind of break down the language a little bit. It says uh, a kernel of wheat, or I think King James is a corn of wheat. And some people say, oh, the corn, they didn't have corn back then. Corn came from the Americas. Well, it's just when, they, when, when the old English translators used the word corn, they weren't meaning corn like corn on the cob. It was just, it was just a term that we would use kernel, a, a seed, a, a, a single piece of grain. Uh, wheat, of course, is for food. And, of course, wheat in this case could be barley. It could be wheat or a number of grains. But the wheat is for food. You take a handful of wheat, you grind it up into flour, you make stuff out of it. But before you get a bunch of wheat, it requires that one kernel of wheat has to die in the ground before it grows into a single stalk with multiple heads of wheat sprouting from that. And on each multiple head, I don't know, there could be a, a couple of dozen uh, uh, kernels inside there. I mean, this single stalk might maybe produce a hundred grains off of it easily, I'm sure. If I may butt in for just a moment, I found this on the internet to answer the question. How many grains of wheat grow on the end of the stalk? David, what are you doing? Oh, hello Collie. I thought this would help answer the question about how much grain can grow from one seed. Seeds per head. Seeds per head is simply the product of the number of seeds per spikelet and the total number of spikelets per head. What does this have to do with anything? Wheat averages between 2 grains and 2.5 grains per spikelet and from 8 spikelets to 12 spikelets per head for a total of 20 grains to 30 grains per head. I think you're missing the point. This is the typical range and actual grains per head can deviate greatly from this range. David, stop it with all the facts. Factors such as variety, emergence time, grazing, tiller population density. Variety, emergence time, grazing. What are you talking about? Fertility, foliar disease, insect infestations, weed control, and moisture availability will affect the final number of seeds per head. David. I don't want to be rude but... Shut up. Wait a minute Callie, there's more. Seeds per head can be estimated very precisely by... I don't think so David. You are totally missing the point. Just keep listening to Keith, Nathan, and J. Vernon McGee. Back to you, Keith. Now, Jesus is about to do the same thing in a real way with his life. Uh, he is going to be the single kernel to be planted in the ground and die, so that up from that will rise a stalk of wheat that will produce an endless amount of kernels, uh, kind of a, 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 
agricultural picture of what the church is. Church is the body of Christ. If Christ was a kernel, then doesn't that make each of us a kernel that looks just like Christ and has the same capacity and potential as Christ to feed people? Or if necessary, one out of the mm, harvest of hundreds on thousands or millions <laughs> of stocks uh, has to uh, sacrifice itself. Uh, but one kernel, one kernel dying produces a plant with numerous kernels and Christ being the eternal uh, God can produce an eternal amount of grain. It's just, wow, mind boggling. But he, with all this picture of the kernel dying, his time has come, uh, he's to be glorified. Uh, he's, he's laying out the teaching for these people. You take a grain of wheat and you can look at it and you can see it, but you have to put that grain of wheat in the ground. And what happens to it? It dies. But it doesn't stay there. What happens is it comes up. There is the blade and the ear and then the harvest. Now, these Greeks had come and they said, we had seen Jesus. And there are many today think they've seen him because they've read the Gospels and studied his life. Well, that doesn't mean you see him or know him at all, friends. You see, Renan, the brilliant French skeptic, he could write a brilliant life of Christ as far as the historical part. But when he attempted to interpret Christ, he's absolutely wrong. The fact of the matter is, he sounds rather stupid to have been the brilliant man that he was. He'd never seen Jesus, actually. Now, until you and I comprehend his death and his resurrection, we've never seen Jesus. He died a redemptive death. He gave his life and death that you and I might have life. This is a great principle he puts down. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That seems a strange thing to say to the Greeks that have come to see him. And he's saying it's more than just seeing me physically or seeing me in the gospel. The important thing is that you've got to see that I'm going to die. And he's put into the ground. And you say you can't see the grain of wheat. No, but you know when it comes up, friends, that there's life there. And he died and rose again. How important this is to see here. Uh, verse 25, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Of course, that's the teaching that shows up, I know, in Luke and also in Mark. Um, but to love life, the word there is zoe, life, look at zoology, life, study of life, um, a soul, a suke, or where we get our word psyche, or a psychiatrist, a soul, the person who loves his intellectual life. Okay, this is Keith in post-production. I have to butt in on myself real quick. 
uh, I think I had that phrasing just a little bit wrong because what this is talking about is those who love their Zoe physical life in this world as comp compared to those who uh, to preserve uh, a everlasting life which that word comes out to be psyche so you can hate your physical worldly Zoe life uh, and in the end you will preserve your everlasting psyche life anyway back to the show in real time or as real as it gets in this world in this cosmos loses it that word loses means to have it be perished if you love this life this that life will perish uh, if you miso hate this life in this world cosmos um, then the, the, that lost life in this world for God's purpose will gain you an eternal life it doesn't mean you hate life it just means you hate this life what kind of life is that that you hate the kind of life that will well, die. You hate the kind of life that you can lose. You know, even atheists hate that kind of life. They think that, you know, uh, death is the end. <laughs> Why do I have to die for? Uh, I remember listening to a, a debate with uh, oh, Christopher Hitchens, and, and part of it, he was ranting at God because doesn't don't people know that the universe will die one of these days and how dare he do that and I'm thinking you know even so it, the universe as we know it our solar system is not going to die and go into a big flaming ball of light for literally millions of years we'll never see it the human existence will probably perish all life will probably perish off the earth before we actually see our earth enveloped in expanding sun or whatever the science says will happen um, so even non-believers hate this life that only ends in death but they don't want to look for the life that is everlasting life in God, with God but those people will keep it that work could also be preserve it uh, to safeguard it that life will be safeguarded into eternity um, is some of the phrasing that uh, it's that the Greek language uses there now he says in verse 25 something else that may sound very strange to us today he that loves his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal now what do you mean when he said that well this is another great miracle he's talking about. There are two kinds of life, and they're put in contrast here. There is what is known as psychological life, the psyche. And that life enjoys the things of this world, and it finds satisfaction with the things of sense. And it has to do with the gratification of the senses. And you can whoop it up, you know, with this life down here. He that loveth his life. That is this physical, natural life that you have. And friends, you can whoop it up. You can drink it up. You can take drugs. Oh, you can really paint the town red 
But you know what's going to happen? One day you're going to die, and that's it. You'll lose it. <laughs> you're going to lose it. I'm sorry, but you'll lose it, friends. I heard of a Baptist preacher down in Texas years ago. He was sensational, very sensational. And the rich man of the town, who was a church member, but he had broken every law of God and man, living in sin, drinking drunkard. And they asked this preacher, he was an outstanding preacher in the town, to preach the funeral. And all the rich came. And there were a lot of them there. It was in an oil section of Texas. A lot of the rich there that were living high. The fast crowd, the jet set, they were there. Now, this preacher did something I wouldn't do, and maybe I should do it, but I'd never done it. I never would do it. But you know what he did? He preached a gospel message. Then he stepped down to the casket, and he preached on the fact of what sin will do for an individual, that it'll finally send a man to hell. And I tell you, they were getting a little uneasy, those that were sitting there. When he stepped down to the casket, he says, I want you to come up here and look at a man that's already had it. His life's in the past. He's lived it up. He's through. He despised God. And he turned his back on Jesus Christ. And then he looked at that crowd and he said, This is the way that each one of you going to end up unless you turn to Jesus Christ. Now, friends, that's making it very plain. Maybe a little too plain. Or maybe it's the way it, it should be. We need to tell it like it is today. And so here, our Lord is saying that he that loveth his life shall lose it. If you live it up down here, you'll lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world, and he's making a contrast here, it means that you do not live for this world or the things of the world. You keep it under life eternal. And eternal life comes what? Through the death of that grain of wheat that fell into the ground and rose again. And that grain of wheat's the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. Now, that's the way that you can save your life, and the only way that you can. This is a tremendous statement that he makes here. Um, let's move on into verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am... There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, there's a lot to unpack with that. It, it, it says, uh, let me go back and read this again. Um, if a man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. If anyone serves me... He must follow me. Now, the, the word must, I don't think, really shows up in the original Greek. I think it's just implied. But the object here is, if anyone serves me, he follows me, is what I think the actual wording is. And you think about it, If how can you serve somebody if you're not, like, right there with them? If I say, hey, can you bring me a cup of coffee? Are you going to do it where you're at right now? Well, no, because you'd have to be where I am to bring me my cup of coffee if I asked you to do that. Or vice versa, I'd have to be where you are if you asked me to bring you a cup of coffee. If you serve the person, you are right there. And there's another um, 
the the phrase follow follow me it it's has the implication of walking the same path together uh, and so he's saying his servant has to be with him and his servants are in the same path with him and where i am there my servant is now i think in the greek it's, it's very con concise it's uh, where I am, there my servant <laughs> is. Uh, is. So that's, again, it's pretty clear. How can you be, be very far from the one you serve uh, when you're actively serving him? And if anyone serves me, which is a very humbling thing, I think the word in this whole passage is where you get a word deacon from to serve. Uh, but if you're serving Christ in his holy, lowly position, his holy position too, but lowly position, uh, God honors him. That word honor uh, also means to be valued or prized. Now, if any man serve me, let him follow me. It's nonsense today to say you're believing in Jesus and then living for the devil. You're not trusting him. This thing has to change your life, friends, or you're the worst kind of a hypocrite. And he says, And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And it's not a question today of the Lord going with us. Are we where the Lord is? That's the important thing. Are you where the Lord is? One man said to me, he says, Well, you know, I'm a member of a liberal church, but I take the Lord with me. My friend, I have news for you. The Lord doesn't go to church there. The question is not, is the Lord with you, but are you with the Lord? That's what he says here, that there also shall my servant be. Where? Where I am. You have to be where he is. This idea that the Lord's going with you, you better go with him. That's the thing that's important. Say, this is tremendous. And these are his last words, you see, that he's saying at this particular time. Uh, so, it's uh, not without its merits. Uh, we know we're not glory-seeking for ourselves. Uh, but it is definitely valued by God. Uh, verse 27 now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Now there's something to unpack there with Jesus' ongoing speech here. Uh, his tone starts to take a darker turn, an honest and needed one. He says, what shall I say? Now this is kind of in past tense uh, and the purpose of that is these events have been settled long ago in the past what shall I say or you might say what is there to be said uh, because that word you know to say to, is a past tense you, it's already been done what can you say what can be said uh, to undo it uh, though his death was necessary, it still troubled him. I mean, he was just as much of a human as any of us, even though he had the divine nature. Uh, it's natural to be asked to be taken out of hardship. 
uh, I mean, anything in life that's worth anything uh, has a bit of hardship to go along with it. Uh, you know, for example, having a child is definitely a blessed event, and you know, you the image of the young mother holding her child cradled in her arm all uh, beautific and halo around and so forth. Beautiful picture, but what did it take to get there? <laughs> it took cranking that little kid out of your body. Uh, not a very uh, painless or uh, pleasant experience uh, for neither the mother or the baby. And, of course, nerve-wracking for the father as well. But... The whole hardship is the purpose there, is bringing that child into the world. The hardship with Jesus' purpose is he, his glorification meant he, he's the only one who was qualified to be on the cross. He's the only one qualified to pay for not only the, his own life, although he didn't need to because he was a sinless person, but because of that, because of his eternal nature, he was qualified to, to uh, cover the sins of all the world, of all people, for all time. Now there is a suffering that's connected with the cross of Christ that you and I cannot comprehend. He just didn't suffer at the hands of man. That was bad enough. And that is as far as anyone can go today, of course. But he suffered beyond that. You see, what happened was, your sin and my sin was put upon him. You see, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief there on the cross. But who's worthy? They weren't his own. He was the happy Jesus when he walked this earth. For the joy that was set before him, he came and endured the cross. But you see, who's worthy? He hath borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. And our sin was put upon him. He was made sin for us, not in some academic manner, but actually made sin for us. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and he hath made his soul an offering for sin. And so my sin was put upon the Holy One, the One who was holy and undefiled, and separate from sinners. But he was made sin for you and for me. And there was a suffering there that you and I cannot comprehend. It's been put like this. None of the ransom ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, how dark the night the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. And so his soul stood in horror. He was aghast before that cross. But he came to go to the cross, to endure the shame of it. And there was glory in the cross, friends. And today, we ought to make more of it. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now, you see how that ties together. He that loveth his life shall lose it. You can tell today the way a person's living, very frankly, friends, where they're headed. Somebody says, I thought it was by faith, and you always emphasize faith and not works. I sure do. 
If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to trust him. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not work yourself to death. But I want to say that when you come to him and trust him, it's going to change your life. And it doesn't change your life, then you didn't trust him. You didn't rest in him then because of the very fact that the thing that will take place is that it will affect your life. And it will mean that you'll no longer live for the things of this world. When I see some of these Christians today putting the money they're putting in homes and putting in the things of this world and in automobiles and these things down here, I wonder really where their heart is. One man that he's, I think, mortgaged every dime he's got in order to buy the things of this world. He told me how he was looking for the Lord to come. And I thought it just disgusted me and others that heard him speak of he just wanting the Lord to come. And he had every gadget down here to live by. May I say to you, it would break his heart if the Lord came and he had to leave these things down here. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour came I unto this hour. Or, but for this cause came I unto this hour. He says, he said, uh, Jesus had to give his life. This was a terribly hard time for him, but he also recognized that this was the whole reason he came. And it was a thing that led to a greater goal. And so Jesus prays, we'll see in our next verse. And in verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You see, heaven couldn't remain silent. They had to respond. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Oh, wow. There's some weight, extra weight with that verse we'll get to in just a moment. But for now, let's look at this. Jesus phrase. Uh, praise Jesus prays for God's glory and God responds audibly uh, literally when he, God responds it says something along the lines of uh, glorifying it and again glory which is kind of awkward in English that's why they add the extra words I am glorifying it and I will glorify it again in other words it's not it's an ongoing thing. It's He is now glorifying the purpose of Christ and will continue again and again, uh, continuously <laughs> glorifying it. Uh, but he, Jesus prays, God responds, and let's go on. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Oh, wow. There's some weight, extra weight with that verse we'll get to in just a moment. But for now, let's look at this. Jesus phrase, 
uh, uh, praise. <laughs> Jesus prays for God's glory, and God responds audibly. Uh, literally, when he, God responds, it says something along the lines of uh, glorifying it and again glory, which is kind of awkward in English. That's why they add the extra words. I am glorifying it and I will glorify it again. In other words, it's not it's an ongoing thing. It's he is now glorifying the purpose of Christ and will continue again and again uh, continuously. <laughs> glorifying it uh but jesus prays god responds and let's go on verse 29 so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered others were saying an angel had spoken to him now i think there's a third group of people that it's not mentioned there because uh this crowd which is the word for crowd, is like a thronging mass of people. Uh, sometimes it's, it's used to describe a riotous route of people. But here it says that they stood, uh, or they were they were now they become bystanders. This thronging mass were bystanders. They were listening and watching. But some of them said, thunder, thunder became, is literally... Well, what it was, in other words, thunder was, was there. Uh, and others said that there was angels talking to him. Now, the, I say there's a third crowd because these these two people heard a sound, but they didn't know what it was. But somebody heard the sound because they recorded the words. Somebody was able to hear this booming disembodied voice and they wrote down those words glory upon glories I'm paraphrasing uh, but others who didn't hear those words said it was thunder it was angels talking and what's the importance with that well when God speaks he has a message uh, for you and if it's a message for you you will clearly understand it and if you don't clearly understand it, you hear the sound, but you don't hear the words, then it's not for you. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. You see, heaven couldn't remain silent. They had to respond. And when that voice came from heaven... Why, notice the reaction. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Now, which were right? Actually, neither one were right. It wasn't an angel. It was the Father speaking to him. But you see, this is as far as those people could come toward God. The ministry of angels in the Old Testament is something that is tremendous. When God had a message from man, it generally came through the angel of the Lord, and that was the pre-incarnate Christ. But you see, they said an angel, but others said that, well, it thundered. Now, will you look at that for a moment? There were those that gave a natural explanation. They said, sure, we heard a voice. Sure, all this took place, but just thundered. It was natural. A natural explanation. 
The liberal today says it thundered. When he comes to the Word of God, he says, this is not God's Word. It's full of errors. And they say that the Bible is something you can't trust, and the miracles in there can't be accurate. You know why they can't be accurate? Because they don't believe in them. And isn't that too bad? They don't believe in them. May I say to you, all they're saying is, it thundered. But there was some there that said, the angels spoke to him. That's the supernatural. Let me put it like this. I heard of a preacher, and I was going to identify the spot, but a better not. And he told some folk that were attending a Bible class where they were listening to my tapes on the book of Revelation. He said that nobody could understand the book of Revelation. It didn't make sense. Well, what ignorance he reveals. Actually, the most logical book in the New Testament, and our Old Testament for that matter, that is probably the most systematic book just happens to be the book of Revelation. And to him, you see, it thundered, just a noise. But the others who believed in the supernatural, it was articulate. An angel spoke to him, you see. That is the supernatural, and that's the conservative viewpoint. So that today, it's not any different than it was then. The Word of God speaks today, and there's some say just thundered. The others say... God's speaking. That's the explanations that you get today. And in this Word of God here, his birth was supernatural. His life filled with miracles. His death was like a grain of wheat. He didn't stay in the ground, friends. That grain of wheat died, but came up, you see. And the liberal who said, the bones of Jesus sleep somewhere beneath Syrian skies has a problem on his hands. Where are the bones? They just don't happen to be there. And his resurrection was not spiritual, but it was actual. You see, there's a way of saying it thundered today. And the other is, an angel spoke to him. And this same old gag has been used down through the years. It thundered. Anyone can say it thundered. There's no mark of intelligence there. We need spiritual perception and appreciation to hear and to know and see the Son of God, my friend. And we need to recognize that when we come to his word. Um, anyway, let's go on um, to verse 30. Jesus answered, here's that word answered again, and said, This voice does not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now, I think the word sake is added. Uh, so, I mean, literally it would say, this voice has not come for me, but for you. Jesus answered and said, The voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. In other words, further proof that he was telling the truth. Um, Jesus sets them straight. You know, this voice wasn't, you know, God answering Jesus, Jesus called for God's glorification and uh, or God to be, uh, he just called, well, let's put it this way, he called on God and God answered him. But the answer was for the people. You know, the, the, the phrase uh, for those who have ears, let them hear. The voice was for those who had the ears to hear. 
Uh, and for those who did not have the ears to hear, all they heard was a thunderous noise. Uh, he continues, though. And that's what our Lord is saying. But he said this, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now somebody says, as I know they do, Well, look, there are multitudes passing by the church, and they're not hearing the word. Just think of that great army of labor today. Think of the students that are not hearing the word. Think of the man in uniform. Think of the white-collar group. Think of the rich today. And may I say to you, none of them are hearing the word of God. And yet he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. What's the problem? He's not being lifted up from the earth in the churches today. And that's the reason that he's not drawing all men to him. Verse 32, and I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, let's pause there, because there's some words we want to look at here. Where it says, uh, and I, it doesn't actually, I mean, it actually says, it's a word that means even so, kega or kegu or something like that, even so, or accordingly so. But it would fit, but whoever translates the Bible, they figured, you know, he's emphasizing and I, if I am lifted up from earth. Now here the earth is the word geo, it's not the word cosmos. Cosmos is like the universe. Remember the universe will be judged because that time has come. But he's saying, if I am lifted from the earth and defeat, I will draw all people, which means a victory, so Jesus has just said the world will be judged. The ruler of the world will be thrown out. But he says, but even if it's me being lifted up from the earth, it's a victory. Because uh, even if Christ is lifted up out of the earth or off of the earth he will draw all people it didn't say when you when the ruler of the world is cast out it, it didn't say he would draw people but christ even if he is seemingly defeated he will draw all people you know he's uh well let me continue right here i was going to say something else but let's go on you know if we could get this word of god out be the most wonderful thing in the world. I wonder if I'm making myself clear to our listeners today how important it is to get the Word of God out. Listen to him here. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And that, my friend, is true. Somebody says, well, look, the gospel is being preached. Oh, no, they're not hearing it today. And you know they're not hearing it today. In our own land, there are as many pagans as there are in Russia are in Africa. Verse uh, 33. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. He's putting the emphasis on his death, you see, that it is his redemptive death that will draw man. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death... He should die. You know, <laughs> there are some praise leaders that get this wrong. Let's lift Jesus up. 
when referring to this passage. But that's not what was going on here. Jesus was talking about when they lifted him up on that cross. Jesus would soon be crucified for the sin, sins of us all. John three fourteen says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. That's John three fourteen through sixteen. No. Kind of an explainer for those who need it. Did the crowd get it? Um, spoiler alert. They understood that Jesus had been declaring himself the Messiah in this little interchange. The crowd understood from their Jewish customs and history that being lifted up from the earth was a cursed way to die. You know, being hanged on a tree, you're being lifted up off of the earth. Uh, was to be, you're being, you're out of control. You're being uh, lifted up and cursed away. But he implied that even, that they understood that uh, it implied his defeat in the judgment of the world. But wait, didn't prophecy say that Messiah would rule forever? Well, stay tuned for next time. And we'll learn more about uh, the questions these people had uh, as Jesus gave them a crash course on the doctrine of who the Messiah is and what he came to do. And I think it's fascinating, actually, that you know this group that uh, J. Vernon McGee had called a, a band of curiosity seekers, uh, maybe they had a frivolous uh, intent to see uh, the circus side show of Jesus uh, healing people and so forth. But they ended up getting an earful of some good sound doctrine there. Uh, maybe they didn't have the same baggage about Messiah as the Jews in Jerusalem did. Uh, that's just a guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm just speculating on that. But Jesus clearly saw that he could tell them these things uh, flat out and in no uncertain terms uh, that his death was coming, that his time had come. But to be glorified didn't mean to throw on the Rigo Rhodes and hand him a, separate, uh, a scepter. <laughs> Let's say that word right. Uh, it meant that he would die like a kernel of wheat. Uh, he could produce more fruit for the kingdom by doing that than taking over the throne. And he's setting this in these people's minds. And as mentioned, they have questions, and we'll get more to that next time. And another spoiler alert, did it work? Did they believe in him? Did they flock around him? Did they follow him? Well, both within the week, the whole mob was shouting for crucifixion, so um, I suppose not. But you know the disciples came back. And maybe some of these people did too. I don't know. Maybe some of these or some other group we heard discussed in Acts, early chapters. Anyway, things to think about.
thing is to consider... Attention, this is a coded report nationwide. Hey everybody, Joel and Troy here with Revived Thoughts, and we're excited to introduce a new show that we call Revived Devos. Just like Revived Thoughts takes sermons from the past and allows you to hear them again, the goal of Revived Devos is to bring devotionals from great speakers and great men of God of the past and allow you to hear their thoughts, their ideas, their encouragement for you again on a daily basis. Every single day we will be releasing at least one episode of Revived Devos and you'll be able to hear back from men like Andrew Murray, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, and several others and you'll get the chance to focus on God. It's only two to three minutes long and we Think it would be a really great addition to any morning routine. You can find it by searching Revive Devos in your podcast app of choice. We live in a world whose primary concern is feeling good. Even some Christians think all you need to do is name and claim your rescue from strife. Yes, Jesus healed lepers. And yes, he rose Lazarus from the dead. But don't forget that Jesus let Lazarus die before acting so God's glory would be shown. God will take care of his people, just not always in the ways we expect or desire in the present. Countering the culture in our quest for truth, this is Nathan Caldwell for Countershock. Check out all we have to offer at the Life Truth Network, life-truth.com. Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Roman's Road, and when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past, present, and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to Roman's Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time. And that's all I have on this. So uh, we'll, we'll wrap it all up and we'll get back to this after we get to some Quest for Truth episodes going on between Nathan Caldwell and myself. Hopefully live in the studio. But hey, you know what? Now it's time for the show where I wrap it all up and say, hey, this is your host, Keith, saying thanks for listening. Tell a friend about us. That's how we grow our audience the most. It really is. But hey, uh, if you don't want to do that, well, at least uh, stop by your favorite podcast directory and uh, leave us a rating and review. Uh, send us an email. We'd love to hear from our listeners to let us know what you think of the show, how we might improve, some questions to ask us on anything. Um, but hey, leave a comment while you're visiting life-truth.com. But hey, you know what? 
Here comes Anthony Russo to tell you about a whole bunch more ways how you can find us on the web and support our show. Take it away, Anthony. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music on the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May the word of Christ dwell on you richly. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.